Today on the Zabecast, the Boston Red Sox are your world champions. The Packers lose a game thanks to a huge brain fart by Ty Montgomery. Who should pay for it? My Redskins are 5-2 and and stuffing running backs into gym lockers. Plus, we got Week 8 on the roll in the NFL, and Apu from The Simpsons is dead. Long live Apu. Your essential Sports Talk Day starter is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Monday, October 29th, 2018. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. Man, what a weekend. The Boston Red Sox are your world series champs. And I would go over every inning of that six hour and 52 minute affair. Was it 652? It was six hours and change. Someone had a stat that said basically that game number, let's see, one, two, three. It was Friday's game. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was game three. They said that the uh, Game 3 length was longer than the entire World Series in 1939. <laughs> I'll get to the uh, my thoughts on the World Series in just a second, but a super team that was the Boston, the Boston Red Sox. I paused for a second. You know, they won 11 titles in Boston, 11 parades in, 18, in 17 years, 11 in 17 now. And they have hit for the cycle with all four sports. The Bruins and the Celtics only have one each in that span. Poor babies. But the Patriots and the Red Sox have just been piling them up left and right and left and right. So, yeah, the I'll get more in the Boston Red Sox in the World Series. Steve Pierce, your MVP. Uh, I did win the Midnight Challenge Series with my boys, Scott and Solly. I said... Uh, more games would go past midnight than don't go past midnight, and I won that one 3-2. to two. Sox win the series 4-1, but I win the midnight challenge 3-2. Uh, to two. And yes, uh, one of the games, uh, game four, went extra innings, and so uh, that one helped me out right there because it looked a little bit dicey. Did, did, wait, did four go extra innings there? See, now I'm going to have to look this one up, man. See, a couple of bourbons late, a lot of football, and me not writing this down uh, has made me forget the World Series uh, and how it went. I mean, people are going to remember this series as, uh, let's see there, uh, nine, six, uh, no, it was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't in extra innings on Saturday night. It just took a long time because the Red Sox punched through uh, in that game and, and extended the game past midnight. That was the only thing that was keeping it interesting late. I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. We might have extra innings or we might we might go past midnight in this one, but we didn't. Let's start with the Packers and the Rams, shall we? Oh my God. In your life, have you seen anything quite like that? Ty Montgomery may be the nicest guy in the world. He may be the most admirable guy in the world in that he's a wide receiver who got converted to running back by the Packers several years ago, two years ago, three years ago, the years fly by, in which they had no more running backs left. That's why you'll see him play running back with the number 88. When he basically switched full-time to running back, he said, now I want to keep my number. And 
I guess by league bylaws, they allowed him to do that. If you're a running back coming in the league right now and you go, hey, I want 88 as a running back, they'd go, no, you're not going to get that. So, anyway, he, he uh, as you probably saw, as I'm sure you know, he committed one of the great fuck-ups in football history. Is that too much, football history? Well, it's not too much to call it a fuck-up. Oh, it was a colossal fuck-up. Why did he even run it out of the end zone? Oh, sure, uh, Coach McPositive said after the game, well, the plan was plan was to take a knee. Yeah, well, what happened to the fucking plan? And then, you know, it came time to press Mc, you know, McCarthy on what happened. He said, well, you know, uh, obviously Ty thought he could make a play, and uh, that's what this team is about. He refused to throw his player under the bus. I guess. I guess there is some respect in that. I guess there is supposedly some virtue in that. And I'm not saying that McCarthy had to say, Jesus Christ, our idiot returner fucking threw the game away. We had a timeout in our pocket, the best quarterback on the planet, and we had two minutes and the two-minute warning. And all we had to do was kick a field goal to win. To win! Field goal! And this fucknut threw the game away for us. So, yeah. Not good. No, he didn't want to throw his guy under the bus. So he made some vague end-around comments about how, you know, Ty was trying to make a play and blah, blah, blah. That's what this team is... The fuck? Seriously? Someone has to be fired by the time I wake up tomorrow morning and get and open up my email inbox. I want to see somebody. You can choose. You can either fire, uh, you can either cut Ty Montgomery. I know that sounds harsh, but I'm going to explain why sometimes that is 1,000% necessary. Or you can uh, fire Ron Zook, the special teams coach, or you can go ahead and fire McCarthy. I think the cake is essentially baked on him. I think that is going to happen. Because at some point, you can't keep letting him throw these games away with bad coaching. And you can say, but it was Ty Montgomery going rogue. That's not on McCarthy. Yes, it is on McCarthy. It's on McCarthy because every football team vibrates to the to the tenor of the, or the, the, every team, think of it like a guitar. Shut up, television. Trying to record a podcast. It's 12.45 a.m. I've had several bourbons. Sue me. So, every football team vibrates to the tone, if you will, of the big string. It's like a guitar, uh, it's like a guitar string. There's one string you pluck, bing. And everyone, and that, and that big string is the coach. And everyone in the organization, good organizations, they vibrate to the tune and to the tenor and to the frequency of the coach. So it's of course on McCarthy to get into Ron Zook's ass and say, "Listen, on this return, I want our guy. I want to return guys lined up on the goal line." And I want them to watch the ball sail over their heads if it's not you know, short of the end zone. You see this now all the time in the NFL. This is how teams play it. 
used to be when I was a kid. You actually had to go pick up the football in the end zone and take a knee. Uh, Nowadays, if it's kicked into the end zone and you don't make an attempt to play it, it's an automatic touchback because the game has been pussified. But I digress. I see teams all the time play kickoffs this way. Why in the fuck wasn't that what the Packers were doing? So you got to have the head coach get into your special teams coach and it get into his ass, and you got to make it clear. I mean, this cannot happen. So it was bad enough that he took it out of the end zone. By the way, maybe I missed it this year. Has there been a kick return for a touchdown this year? It is so hard now to get good kick returns that it's I, – I, I need to look this up. I would be willing to bet that the average length of kick returns is down again this year. You know, they've made all these rules in which, yes, they restrict the kicking team from getting a big running start, but they've also severely restricted the ability to do combo blocks and wedge blocks on the return team. So who the fuck ever gets a big kick return anymore? Nobody. And you get it at the 25. Ugh. It, it was so unfathomable. And all of this stupidity, all of this terrible tactical you know, brain fartery happened before he fumbled. I've said before, and I'll say it again, there's no worse play in football than the crumble. The kick return fumble. Crumble! Think about it. The other team just scored. They're kicking the ball off to you. You're going to now get the ball and try to score yourself. You need to score because the other team just scored. What's the one thing you shouldn't do? Mm, give it back to him. The crumble. So he commits the worst play in football. And really it wasn't even a big shot. It's one thing if he's running it out going, I'm going to run it back all the way. I'm Ty Montgomery, man. By the way, he's not fast enough to run it back all the way. And there's never it's never going to happen. It's one thing if he gets blown up. I mean, just a missile hit, helmet on ball, and it comes flying out. No, this was just stripped. This was just stripped from his arm feebly. God, was this a bad play. Somebody has got to be fired. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty harsh to cut Ty Montgomery. Yeah, I know. But a couple things. Number one, where does he fit now on the team? You got running backs now. You got Williams and you got Jones. They're good. You don't need Montgomery. And if you do need a third guy, get somebody else. He's not fast enough or elusive enough to be a regular wide receiver. Where is he on the team? That's number one. Number two, you've got to send a message that this is serious shit. We are burning another one of Aaron Rodgers' precious seasons in a giant tin barrel or a, a steel barrel. Like we're outside, you know, we're burning his season like we're at a Christmas tree stand and we're watching it go up in flames. We, we, we can't have this. That's why I advocated cutting Lance Kendricks for dropping that pass against the Redskins several weeks ago to send a shock into the team. Wake the fuck up. Do what you're supposed to do. This comes on the heels of the infamous collapse in Seattle, which I don't want to bring up again, but I've got to bring it up again because you guys know it as Packer fans. What happened? Some big dumb oaf 
on the special teams unit, jumps up to try to catch the onside kick when it was meant to go over his head to in, into the arms of Jordy Nelson. And he went at it like he had a pair of chopsticks for hands. Oops. Helped lead to the comeback. Well, that's not McCarthy's fault. Hey, when it keeps happening, it's his fault. You need to send a clear message. Now, they got rid of that guy, and I uh, should know his name. Hold on. Let me look it up right now. Good prep work. I told you I was drinking, all right? I was drinking watching the World Series. Packers special teams player cut Seattle. And here we go. Come on. Come on. No, 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 no. Come back. Uh, Packers tight end. Cut Packers. <laughs> See, now Now I'm no better than Mike Francesa. Just go, looking up things on my phone. Uh, hold on a second. Packers tight end cut after Seattle comeback. How the Seahawks saved their season in six minutes. SB Nation. Now I got to read this damn story here. Uh, it's killing me. I should know this guy's name. This guy's, this idiot's name should come off of my lips at every chance I get. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Onside kick. Uh, Bostic. Not Brian Bostic. Not Tra- Brandon Bostic. Brandon Bostic. It wasn't my job at all. I was supposed to block. That's the quote. Yeah, well, you didn't. So, yeah, they got rid of Bostic after the season was over. But still, you have got to send a message. This shit can't be tolerated. So, my message to the Packers is simple. Cut one, you know, either cut Montgomery or fire Zook or fire McCarthy. Your choice. Someone's got to go. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And Aaron Rodgers must have been fucking steamed. And then, to make it worse, here you've got Todd Gurley breaking through on a third down run, headed for the end zone, headed to push the game over, headed to push the game into a Rams win and cover, because I guess the line had dipped all the way down to 7.5. So it was like 9.5, I think, on Friday, and it dipped almost two points in some books. And guess what he does? He realizes, no. Even if I score a touchdown here to make it eight, extra point to make it nine with 29 seconds to go, that'd be good. That's basically an impossible comeback to, uh, that's an impossible score to overcome. He did the smart thing. He said, okay, and now I've done enough. I'm going to go down and we're going to take a knee and that's that. That's a player who knows what the fuck the deal is, who knows what the score is, who knows what the situation is, which means he listened to his coaching, which means that everyone in that Rams organization is vibrating to the pitch and the tenor of their brilliant young head coach, Sean McVay, who used to be an assistant here in Washington. It's a tough one there. Okay. Packers at the Patriots next week, and let's hope it's not a really bad game. Or maybe if you are really, 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 really sick of McCarthy and think this year is already done, then you're going to hope for the... uh, Patriots to humiliate and pants the Packers because the Packers played a hell of a game against the Rams. I mean, the Rams got their points. They they moved the football. Goff still had three touchdowns. He couldn't stop Gurley, but uh, Jair Alexander was great. 
It was incredible to have him back. The fans in L.A., the Packer fans, my God. I mean, it was 60% easy. Had a listener, uh, uh, my my buddy out there, uh, Petey. Petey was out there, my, my patron saint, my sponsor of going to the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, Pete said it was crazy. It was loud. It was great. It was dynamic. Why can't I think of his name? I'm having all these memory problems right now. Must be the bourbon. Uh, Peter Bartell. Why can't I think of that? Okay, enough about the uh, Packers. My Redskins are 5-2. Best start since 2008. Adrian Peterson is a monster. After the game, had a nice chat with Saquon Barkley. I mean, it was just game respects game. Giants media department caught it, and they posted on Twitter, and basically... Peterson was saying to Barkley, look, I know you didn't have a good game. No, I know you didn't have a big game, but basically, uh, you know, you're doing great things. I really admire what you're doing. And I'm sure Barkley was like, dude, you're my idol. Kidding me? My Redskins are 5-2. and two. How are we going to handle this? This is amazing. The defense is pretty damn sick. Stifling. Barkley was held to like 30 yards or something like that. Great research. I don't know. I write it down here. No, I didn't write it down. Doesn't matter. Nobody can run on the Redskins. Nobody. The Bama boys are phenomenal. Ioannidis is turning out to be the best fifth-round pick ever. That's one of the ones that Scott McLuhan got right. And by the way, Ioannidis was cut once by the Redskins. I think his rookie year, but then picked up after the waivers, uh, after the final, you know, uh, I, I don't think he made the final 52 as a rookie. They cut him, and they picked him back up and put him on the practice squad. Thank God for that, because he is kicking ass. And DJ Swearinger is playing at a Pro Bowl Plus level. He is phenomenal. I've always been a little bit suspect of Swearinger, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Jungle Swag, uh, Jungle Boy Swag, I believe, is his nickname or his Twitter handle. You know, he tapes up his face mask as an homage to the late, great Sean Taylor. And he has always, you know, he stepped in. He's called himself the leader of this team. Of course, he said that last year and called out bad practices by the defense late in the season when the Redskins' year was going straight down the shitter. So I'm thinking this year, I'm like, well, why is it going to be any different? Why has this guy been on several teams already? Well, DJ Swearinger is playing at a Pro Bowl plus level. Two more picks yesterday. He had the first pick, which really hurt the Giants as they pushed it deep into the red zone, was a brilliant play that was based on film study. He sold a zone look to Eli, but then dropped back right in the passing lane for a cutting Odell Beckham Jr. and basically jumped the route and picked them off. And it was all film study. It was all using your brain. Guy hits, guy leads, guy tapes up his face mask. It's costing him like twenty five grand a week, I'm sure, from the uniform police, but who cares? That covers up the fact the Redskins were only leading, what, 7-3 and then 10-3 late in the game. They almost blew it after the Peterson fumble. But the defense once again rose up to save their ass. And then Peterson, after the fumble, had a monster run, which put the game away. Um, Bottom line is this. I love defense because it travels every week and it plays in all conditions. And I love the fact that the O-line is good and the D-line is good, and that's where your success begins in the NFL. I'm not breaking any news here. 
But there are now people saying we need to make a move before the trade deadline, and people are talking about let's go get Patrick Peterson. Because Greg Stroman, our third corner, who played on Sunday because Dunbar was hurt, was not good. Not good again. He's now had three weeks in which he has looked very shaky and given up big plays. I say no to that. Not only because Peterson's going to cost an arm and a leg, but he's unnecessary. I mean, the defense is mostly fine. We are going to need more running backs. Because God forbid when the day comes, when the day comes, and I hope it's not this year, but when the day comes in which Adrian Peterson is no longer Burgundy Jesus, we need a good plan B. And don't just say, well, Darius Geis. We don't know what Darius Geis is. And we don't know how he's going to be coming off his injury. So we need a running back one. We need a true wide receiver one. I'm glad to see that Doxon had one of his better games of recent vintage. Uh, but you know we don't really have a true wide receiver one. A badass, absolutely can't stop him kind of guy that's going to catch eight balls for a buck ten or ten for a buck forty or anything like that. We need one of those. So there's things on offense that we absolutely need. Good to see they targeted Jordan Reed early and often. Still wasn't as productive as I would have hoped. Alex Smith, is he's not good. There's no other way to put it. He's not good. But glass half full, you can say a lot of room for him to get good later on in the year. Because remember, what's my mantra? Win now, get good later. So we don't have to worry about being good until the end of December and January. Got to pile up the wins now while you can. And the Redskins' schedule the rest of the way is the softest, soft, softest in the NFL. I believe the number is 391. 391 winning percentage of teams left on the Redskins' schedule. I wouldn't get carried away with that because we are a thin margin of error team that has to win the turnover battle every week, that cannot score a lot of points, and we're going to be playing a lot of tight games down the stretch. I think the Redskins and Eagles are going to battle it out. It's going to be a pillow fight of sorts to nine wins. I think 10 wins the division outright. I think nine wins is a tiebreaker. I don't really see the Cowboys being a factor, and obviously the Giants are in complete freefall at 1-7. and seven. Quick thought on Eli. So, Eli sucks. There's just... <laughs> he's terrible. He can't move... Number one, he's slow, he's soft, he's weak, he's skitterish, he makes the derp face. And the defense of Eli Manning last year was comical. Go back, read the articles. Go back and listen to the audio clips of when Eli Manning was (gasps) benched in a lost season by Ben McAdoo, who had become the scapegoat for everything that was wrong with the Giants. All the bad drafting, the offensive line that still was, they tried to fix it, they couldn't fix it. All the things wrong with the Giants. The the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. is a pain in the ass who they would like cater to and they wouldn't want to criticize him. And, you know, this guy was in it for himself. He still is in it for himself. And all the blame went on McAdoo. You know, McAdoo went 11-5 and five his first year. And then he fell to 2-10 and 10 and they fired his ass midseason. Because he benched Eli Manning. And don't tell me that the New York City media and the talk shows and guys like Francesa and the back pages of the tabloids didn't have a factor in everybody in New York suddenly caping up for old poor Eli. Oh, poor Eli. He's, no, Eli's good. 
Really? And then when it came time for a sober off-season analysis of, you know, this guy has won two Super Bowls for us, and we really appreciate that, but how is he in today's modern NFL? Instead of making the sober decision of, you know what, we got to get another guy. Sorry. He's going to have to compete with that guy. Sorry. They instead, they go ahead and get Barkley, who looks like a superstar, so at least that's pretty good. And they pour money into a mental case in Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, and there was a clip. I don't know who got this, but it's a beauty. John Mara, after a particular play in the game, I don't know which one it was, getting up in his press box chair and then throwing the chair, tip of the chair over. John Mara basically went Odell Beckham Jr., Classic. All right, let me get some quick thoughts on the World Series. Ratings were down every step of the way. I don't know what the ratings are for Game 5. I'm sure they were down again. This is something that is concerning to baseball. Uh, The commissioner has said, I don't get it. It's two marquee teams. It's two teams full of stars. It's East Coast, West Coast. What's the problem? Oh, there's lots of problems. But I'm just going to address one thing I think needs to be dealt with, and that is these marathon games cannot happen. Not in today's day and age. You can't sell any romanticism of a baseball game that could possibly go 18 innings. I know there's been some talk in the offseason of, hey, we're going to start thinking about starting with a player on second base after the 10th inning. Just put them on there right away. Baseball purists howled at the idea. And I'm sure they still do. But the bottom line is this. It's 2018, soon to be 2020, with virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. You can't have 18 inning games. No one's going to stay up to watch that shit. I I credit the uh, Dodger fans. They hung in there to the very end. But, I mean, six hours and change is absolute torture too long my personal feel you know remember what i always say is the rules in sports whatever sport it is even at the pro level the rules of the game can be anything you want the rules to be period it's that simple well you don't want to make a joke of the game what do you mean make a joke of the game it's a game we play we play we play okay we played for a while now time to wrap it up This is why I applaud the NHL's decision to go to three-on-three in overtime. It's brilliant. It's great. And then a shootout in the regular season. I wish they would do this in the playoffs. Oh, come on, man. Hockey's about toughness. You can't have a Stanley Cup game, much less a game in the finals, go to three-on-three in overtime. That's ridiculous. Why? Why is it ridiculous? It's a game. It's fair. It's equitable to both teams. You say, okay. Here you go. It's now three on three. Get your best three skaters out there and have your goalies on point because it's going to be coming fast and furious. Wrap it up. Two things I'll say about today's sports world as all of our attention spans get shorter and shorter and shorter. Speed it up, wrap it up. Speed it up, wrap it up. The time between action has to get shorter. This is why a pitch clock is coming. In Major League Baseball. They've already said this, basically. Insiders and those who cover the game have said this is a 
percent certainty. Speed it up, wrap it up. So you can't have endless games. My solution for baseball would be starting in the tenth inning, you would have to play with one fewer player in the field. So the tenth inning, you play with eight fielders, and then you go to seven fielders in the eleventh, and then you go to six fielders in the eleventh, and then you can you can position them anywhere you want. You want to go with two outfielders and four infielders? Great. If you want to go to four. Whatever you think works. That's re- that's the dumbest thing ever. Oh, is it? Is it as dumb as an 18-inning game that ends at 3 in the morning? I don't think so. Remember, the rules can be anything you want them to be. And they should be anything you want them to be to survive and adapt and advance in a world in which our entertainment options are just multiplying in front of us. Baseball has always been really, really stuck on things like tradition and the record book and all this stuff, which is great nostalgia, but the reality of baseball is look at all the shit that's changed over the years. And look at all the things that have warped the precious record book. Steroids being the biggest one that absolutely put a funhouse mirror inside the record book for certain players in a certain period. Baseball didn't have black players in the major leagues until Jackie Robinson. Now they have more international players than ever. The data being used to employ shifts and radar guns to see whether or not a pitcher's velocity is actually dropping. These are all things that have changed the game significantly. The use of relievers, bullpenning now. Divisions, wild cards, air travel, interleague play, the DH, free agency. I mean, come on. There's nothing that is precious or sacred about baseball that you have to really say, well, I don't necessarily want to change this. The essence of baseball is what happens when a ball is in play. There's a play at the plate. I think it was Saturday night. I can't remember. Again, it's been a long weekend, lots of bourbon, lots of baseball. And it was a play at the plate with a tag, bing, bang, boom, crowd goes crazy, and I think I tweeted out, fucking baseball, it's the past. That was one moment. Baseball has to figure out a way to get more balls in play, to get more runners moving, and to get the fun and the essence and the excitement of the game, which is the catch, the throw, the tag, and the drama and everything else, condensed down to a convenient three-hour package or less. Which, by the way, it was for game number five, the clincher. Less than three hours. Will miracles never cease? All right, NFL Week 8 on a roll. Redskins beat the Giants 20-13. to to move to 5 and 2 that is their best start since 2008 amazing that was the jim zorn 6 and 2 start to the season that went horribly wrong in the back half i hope it doesn't turn into that the giants fall to 1 and 7 adrian peterson is absolutely amazing 26 carries a buck 49 and a touchdown including the backbreaking touchdown that you watch and you go get him he's old He can't be that fast, and yet he is. Had his first fumble of the year, and that almost turned the tide in this game. Luckily, it did not for my Redskins. Eli was sacked six times in this game, and I know that people say, he's got no time. He has got to adjust his internal clock so that if a normal quarterback gets 2.6 seconds to throw the ball, he has to say, okay, I'm going to get 1.8, and that's just how it is. 
He turned down wide open shots on little flare passes to Saquon Barkley on multiple occasions in this game. You can't just say, well, he's got no time. Well, so you're saying he's a franchise quarterback that you have reinvested in at the age of 36, and yet he's not going to be any good unless he's got a lot of time to throw and he can't move and he looks feeble when the pocket collapses around him? Come on now. Odell Beckham Jr. had a big day statistically, but didn't find the end zone. Eight catches, a buck 36. My Redskins host Atlanta in a pretty big game on Sunday at FedEx Field. The Giants are on a bye, so you know that's going to provide a week of drama before they crank it back up again. The Packers lose to the Rams 29-27 to on the gaff that I opened the show with here, the podcast with. I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything like it. And I never will again. I hope I hope to never see it again. Todd Gurley, massive day, twenty five carries a buck fourteen. Goff had three touchdowns. Packers now fall to three three and one. They're at New England on Sunday night. The Rams, meanwhile, host the Saints. So it's going to be Rams Saints followed by Packers and the Patriots. I mean that is a orgasmic television schedule for you right there. Rams are eight zero. For just the second time in franchise history, the Packers fall, like I said, to 3-3-1, and and it's going to be big next week. The Saints beat the Vikings 30-20. My lock mm, comes home again. 7-1, and one, my locks are on this year. Pretty amazing. Minnesota falls to 4-3-1. and one. Drew Brees only had 23 pass attempts in this game, and for just 120 yards. There are 23 short passes for the most part. But they didn't need anything more than that. They were nasty defensively. Sheldon Rankins, defensive tackle for the Saints, had two sacks, including a sack in which he just threw the center for the Vikings straight back into Kirk Cousins, like right away. It was an embarrassment. Adam Thielen had a 100-yard game again. That's eight in a row. And I believe that matches Calvin Johnson's record in the NFL but let's not start comparing him to the all-time great receivers. He is having a highly productive year, and he is very good. But come on, he does not have the skill set of some of the greatest receivers the game has ever seen. He's just highly productive and in a real groove right now with Kirk Cousins in a very pass-happy league. Cousins was 31-41, 359, two touchdowns, one INT, a 107.7 rating, which sounds all very good, but he was not very good in this game when it mattered, including the pick six that really turned the tide. There was three plays that screwed the Vikings. They screwed themselves, basically. Thielen fumbled driving early in the second half. They went for a fourth down and one and a half at about the the minus 45 and missed it as Treadwell looked like he had caught it and then got it knocked out of his hands. I wouldn't call it a drop. And then they had the pick six that really turned the game around. Saints are now 6-1, and one, and they host the L.A. Rams. Host? Yes, I believe they host. I think I said the Saints go to the Rams. It's the other way around. Vikings host Detroit. They are 4-3-1. and one. In London, the Eagles beat the Jaguars 24-18 just hours after it was alleged that several Jaguar players were, quote, detained after failing to pay for a bar bill totaling something like $56,000. Now, I say detained with air quotes around it because there was a lot of sort of posturing by some news outlets, mostly NBC, 
who you know is tight with the league carrying Sunday Night Football, to not say that they were arrested. Several British newspapers, though, did say that the players were arrested. They were not charged in the end, but still, it's not what the league wants as it wraps up their three-week run in jolly old England. So the Eagles win to go to 4-4. Four and four. They do it by holding off the Jaguars late. They could have coughed up a late lead, but did not. They figured out a way to close it out despite some shaky moments. Carson Wentz, another good game. Three touchdown passes, 21-30, just under 300 yards. And uh, Carlos Hyde, how is he doing for Jacksonville? Not good. Six carries, 11 yards. Blake Bortles, pretty good throwing the ball, 24-41, but he led the team in rushing. And you don't want Blake Bortles leading your team in rushing. And I guess now uh, they said Leonard Fournette is going to be back in week 10. So, yeah, thanks. Anytime you want to come back, it'd be great. But Carlos Hyde has been a total bust for them, at least so far. The comeback that almost was fell just short in Cincinnati. The Buccaneers lose to the Bengals 37-34 to as Ryan Fitzmagic led this frantic 18-point fourth-quarter comeback to tie the game. It included a two-point conversion to tie the game, only to see the Bengals finally assemble a single second-half scoring drive. They, they drove for a winning field goal. That was it. The other seven points by the Bengals in the second half came on that pick six by Jameis Winston, one of his, one of his four interceptions in this game. Jameis Winston, what was worse, Winston or Cincinnati's second half approach? Hey, uh, we're kicking uh, we're kicking the Buccaneers' ass. Should we keep kicking their ass or should we shut it down? After the game, it was funny. He had, for some reason, Marvin Lewis felt the need or the urge to go give some what seemingly was conciliatory and or encouraging words to one Jameis Winston, the quarterback on the other team. I, I don't get it because it's not like he played for Marvin Lewis back in the day or anything like that. He's just another quarterback who had a shitty day. And I'm just thinking to myself, hmm, now there's a picture right there. A quarterback in Jameis Winston with four interceptions that just does not show good judgment both on and off the field. And a coach in Marvin Lewis, who is a really good coordinator and a nice guy, but has way outstayed his welcome, don't you think, in Cincinnati? Bengals win 37-34 year final. Tampa Bay falls to 3-4. and four. They're at Carolina next week. The Bengals are improved to 5-3, and three, and they have a bye week. And oh yeah, Deshaun Jackson now wants a trade. Oh yeah, and Dirk Cutter has said, I'm not naming who my starter is. Not today. Not on Sunday night in the wake of this four-interception day, this debacle by Jameis Winston, followed by Ryan Fitzmagic doing Ryan Fitzmagic things. Do you really think they're going back to to Jameis Winston next week? The, the, the Buccaneers at Carolina? I mean, maybe they could. I'd love to see it. But then you have to start thinking if you're Carolina, how much longer are we in the Jameis Winston business? How many more chances do we have to give him? It's not just that he threw four picks. They were some of the biggest horseshit picks you've ever seen. Like Almost like an amateur was thrown out there or a good flag football quarterback. Like, here, go play NFL quarterback. It's going to be a fun week in Tampa, to be sure. The Bears beat the Jets 24-10 to to improve to 4-3. and The Jets fall to 3-5. and Sam Darnold, 14 of 29 
for a buck fifty-three. Okay, I'm cupping my hand to my ear, and I'm now saying, "Go ahead, everybody, tell me how great this guy's going to be. Tell me how he's going to be the best quarterback ever." Maybe. Who was it that said that? Was that Steve Young that said he has a chance to be maybe the best quarterback ever? What is it about getting overhyped about guys after one? good outing, which he had way back in week one against the Lions. I know this, Ryan, uh, Mitch Trubisky was pretty good and pretty good running. This guy has some legs. Six carries for 51 yards rushing. He threw for two touchdowns. This win without Khalil Mack. This win without their number one wide receiver, Allen Robinson. I'm not saying the Bears are back. I'm sure Big Cat from Barstool will say that. But uh, the Bears with a big win to improve to four and three. They're at Buffalo next week. The Jets fall to three and five. They are at Miami. The Seahawks beat up the Lions 28 to 14. They improved to four and three. And dare I say, this new look Seahawk team is kind of interesting. Look, they are not going to challenge the 8 0 Rams in their division, but they might be in the mix for a wild card. Russell Wilson only threw it 17 times, but he only missed three passes. 14 to 17 for three touchdowns in this game. And Chris Carson had 25 carries for a buck five. Impressive day. Carry uh, on Johnson was held to just eight carries for 22 yards. Maybe this is the new Legion of Boom. Seahawks host the LA Chargers this week. Not the Rams, the Chargers. And the Lions, who fall to three and four, are at Minnesota. The Broncos fall to the Chiefs, 30-23, to your final score there. They cover the 10-point spread. Uh, Case Keenum, mm, once again, three more turnovers in this game for him. Kareem Hunt had a sick hurdle and truck stick for a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes, 300 yards, four more touchdowns. Uh, it's like this game is really easy coming to him. Sammy Watkins had 107 yards and two catches. What he couldn't do in Buffalo, what he couldn't do in L.A., He's now doing in Kansas City where the Chiefs are now 7-1. and one. They're at Cleveland next week, and the Broncos fall to 3-5. and five. They host Houston. The Steelers, speaking of Cleveland, beat the Browns 33-18 to 18 after a slow start. Uh, the Steelers were outgained in the first quarter, something like 119-29. to 29. The Browns took a 6-0 lead, but they missed a field goal. That would have made it 9-0. They also didn't score a touchdown despite two trips inside the 27. And then it was James Conner time. Uh, Le'Veon, who? James Conner, monster day, 212 yards total offense, like 150-plus on the ground, 50-plus more through the air, two touchdowns. It negated a good Jarvis Landry. Actually, Jarvis Landry had a bad day. Eight catches for 39 yards. Eight for 39 for Jarvis Landry. (laughs) That's a lot of very short passes. The Browns have now lost 25 in a row on the road. I think I said last week that the 24 in a row was an NFL record. I was wrong. Uh, it's 26 in a row is the record. It was set by the Lions in part that season. They went 0-16. So the Browns have a chance to go for it in a couple of weeks. Browns host Kansas City this coming week, which will be one of the biggest point spreads, I'm sure, of the week. The Steelers uh, and Browns fall to 2-5-1. and Pittsburgh is now 4-2-1, and one, and they are at Baltimore in the AFC North blood rivalry for the second and final meeting this year. Speaking of Baltimore, they were killed by Carolina. 36-21, your final score, as the Panthers improved to 5-2, and two, 
and they could be six and one if they didn't stumble down the stretch against my Redskins. Baltimore falls to four and four. Uh, before I get into the game at all, Carolina's new, I think this is their new home blue, the Carolina blue, the electric blue uniforms. I just got to say, mwah, absolute beauties. Love them. Huge day for Cam Newton. He threw for two. He rushed for one. He got a little bit lucky on a deflected pass that ended up in Christian McCaffrey's hands. Doesn't matter. They dominated the game. Joe Flacco said we got our butts kicked. Flacco threw two picks. He had a quarterback rating of 56.8. DJ Moore for Carolina had a big game. Big game, 129 and was electric. Panthers 5-2. and two. They host Tampa Bay. Ravens, like I said, they host Pittsburgh. They fall to 4-4. Four and four. The Colts beat the Raiders in a high-scoring game 42-28 to 28 to improve to 3-5. and five. I believe they've won two in a row or three in a row after no one five started. No, they've won two in a row. They beat my Redskins early, and they've got a running game now. The Colts' offensive line is getting better by the week. Andrew Luck is looking healthier by the week, and the Colts are kind of dangerous. Marlon Mack, 25 carries for a buck 32. Uh, both Carr and Luck were great. They had six touchdowns against no interceptions combined. Both guys around 300 yards, but it was Luck that had the better day. And Adam Vinatieri became the most prolific scorer, air quotes, in NFL history. Well, you got to put that in air quotes. He is. I know. He passed Morton Anderson as the most prolific kicker in NFL history. He's easily one of the greatest kickers of all time in the modern era, no question about it. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Good for him. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to make too big a deal of that. Andrew Luck had a sick touchdown throw to Mo Alley Cox, who played basketball in college. <laughs> he just went tight, and he's a tight end. He went up and just boop, grabbed it with one, one hand and brought it in. Luck hit all three of his tight ends for touchdowns this game. Colts 3-5. and five, They've got a bye this week. The Raiders and Chucky fall to 1-6 and six with the trade deadline looming on Tuesday. Be interesting to th- see if they try to sell off any more parts before the deadline on Tuesday. The Raiders have a short week. They're at San Francisco, even though they don't have to travel far, on Thursday night football. Speaking of San Francisco... Late touchdown pass from Josh Rosen-Rosen. Where the hell's the records room? They come back to beat... Excuse me. No, what am I saying? Uh, the Niners lose to the Cardinals. The Cardinals beat the Niners 18-15 to on a Josh Rosen uh, final-minute touchdown pass. This game was flat-out terrible in every regard. It was 5-3 to at the half. Ugh. C.J. Beathard, 14 of 28. You heard me right. 14 of 28 for a buck 90. Uh, Rosen, 23 of 40, almost 50% himself for 252 yards. Larry Fitzgerald did have a big game. The ageless wonder, eight catches for a buck two. San Francisco was led on offense in running and receiving by two guys, Matt Breda and Kendrick Bourne. I mean, I've heard of Matt Breda or Breda. Former Bear, but Kendrick Bourne, that's a new one on me. San Fran falls to 1-7. and seven. How you doing there, Kyle Shanahan? They have Oakland on a short week at home on Thursday. The Cardinals improved to 2-6, and six, and they have a bye. Monday night game. Let me go ahead and pick it right now. Patriots minus 13.5 at the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to lay the points like a sucker. 
I know. I just, I can't. In today's NFL, where scoring is out of hand, there is no way the Buffalo Bills can hang with the Patriots scoring-wise. I will take the Patriots minus the 13 and a half. Total is 44 and a half. Favorite and the over is a classic Monday night football sucker play. A Johnny Square player play. Eh, now nah, I'll lay off the total. I'll take the Patriots minus 13 and a half. Patriots uh, host Green Bay on Sunday night the following week, and then the Bills host Chicago. So there it is, week eight, at least the games on Sunday and into Monday on a quick rundown for you. My, my lock of the week was the Saints, and it came home. Seven and one. Bing, bang, boom. Jimmy Masterlock, who's not me, by the way, on Bob and Brian, he went two and two. So after going a sizzling 4-0, and 3-1, he's gone 2-2, two 2-2 and two, two and two the last two weeks. So he's still pretty, pretty good, but he's cooled off just a bit. All right, we'll end on this today. First of all, news events from the weekend, enough to just shake anybody to their core that evil can exist in ways that's hard for civil society to fathom. And obviously, may God's grace sustain everyone in Pittsburgh and everyone associated with the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Evil, pure evil, is something that is always so hard for normal, rational, life-loving, civil people to get their heads around. To think, who could possibly do such a thing? What could possibly be going on inside their head and their heart to do such a thing? And I don't know, my only feeling is about what can be done because everybody wants to do something in the wake of moments and tragedies like this. It's a human urge, obviously. You don't want to just sit around and go, oh, that sucked, and then check your phone for the latest baseball score. You feel like a shithead. All I can say is we've got to be better, we've got to do better, we've got to think more, we've got to accuse less, we've got to log off, and we've got to connect and listen. And I would just say, everyone should ask themselves, is what I'm about to say, or what I'm about to write on Facebook, or what I'm about to tweet, is that a helpful, unifying thought, or not? And if you say, well, I'm so passionate, I know that I'm right, that this is not a time necessarily for unity. This is a time for cold, hard truth. I think if you're that person, you're part of the problem. And I'll leave it at that. All right, I'm not going to end on a downer. Wait a minute, I'm going to end on another downer. Apu is dead, apparently, in The Simpsons. The writers are going to phase him out of future episodes because of political correctness. And this debate has been coming for a while now. I think I read stories about it almost a year ago in which uh, there are certain, I believe, Indian groups that say, not Native American, but Indian groups that say it is a stereotype, it is not complimentary, the character Apu, and it should not be part of the show. And of course, Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, is a total hippie. I mean, he is 
He is as liberal as it gets. But I think he understands that, hey, there's a lot of stereotypes in this show, and there's a lot of poking fun at the characters in this show. And my God, these are fictional fucking characters. Really? I think The Simpsons, first of all, I can't believe they're still making episodes. I I love The Simpsons. I have lost the scent of the trail. I used to make appointment viewing to get in front of the TV to watch The Simpsons every Sunday night. I've lost the scent of the trail a long time ago. And I don't watch the show probably hardly at all. I guess I, once I became hooked on Family Guy, it was like a harder drug. You know, it gave me a, a better high. And so I was like, I, 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 need the, I need the good stuff. Give me Family Guy. But to write Apu out of the series or to just gently stop including him in episodes, it's just a terrible retreat. For the creators, it's a terrible retreat for the series if it's not already dead. I don't, somebody who watches The Simpsons now, are they still coming up with good episodes? Hell, I think they just had Treehouse of Horror. Treehouse of Horror is always good. I always make sure to watch that, the Halloween version, almost every year. It's fun. The creativity that goes into doing a Simpsons episode that then draws upon some other story and or movie or TV show it has things in it that normal Simpsons episodes wouldn't have, all Halloween-related. Ah, brilliant. But tell me, if anyone watches the show, are they still cranking out decent episodes, or has the show long since jumped the shark? But if Apu is really out, and they're not going to write him in anymore, you know what? This is not the end of it. The next step is going to be lobbying to make sure that the old episodes that have Apu in it don't ever get replayed in syndication. And then they're going to say you shouldn't be able to sell DVD sets that have those episode in, episodes in it. And who knows where it's going to stop from there? Who knows what character might be next? But apparently, this is the route they're going. Good luck to them. All right, that will truly and finally do it for me at holy crap 101 a.m. on a Sunday night into Monday morning. Thank you very much for downloading and subscribing to the Zabecast. You're welcome for the lock this week. I'm going to try to keep it up. Seven and one, best I've ever been with my one pick lock of the week to start an NFL season. Let's hope the Bills Patriots game tonight is half decent. And now that baseball is behind us, we can focus maybe on my Wizards who fall to 1-4 and four by getting blown out by the Clippers after a players-only meeting after a loss to Sacramento. Dwight Howard, our big acquisition, has yet to play. He has butt tightness. I kid you not. His glutes are tight. He's yet to play. Wizards are 1-4. and four. Bucks, meanwhile, are smoking hot. They're 6-0 and, oh, and they're shooting threes like crazy. Dante DiVincenzo is showing some real promise, the rookie out of Villanova. And of course, Giannis, the Greek freak, is just starting to dominate as he has been for a while now. That'll do it for me today. Thanks for listening. Tell three friends. Now go on out, have yourself a Monday, and we will see you next time.
must be very brave. 